Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Woo! We also have Robin Barr. Ciao, Papa. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be attempting any Italian on this episode, so we're going to let Robin handle all of that with us today. To help us talk about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, it is Professor Maria Trulio. Ciao, everybody. So excited to be here. Woo! Would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience? Sure. Um, so really, really happy to be joining this conversation tonight. Um, my name is Maria Trulio, and I'm a professor of Italian and of women's gender and sexuality studies at Penn, yeah, <laughs> at Penn State in central Pennsylvania. And I've been working for a few years in particular on Italian children's literature of which, of course, Pinocchio is the shining star. So really thrilled to be here. Yeah, I was going to, I well, until you said of which Pinocchio is the shining star, I was going to jokingly ask, so what are you doing here? Like, what's, <laughs> I don't understand the <laughs> But we are so glad to have, um, I, I almost said a real human being on this episode <laughs> to help us talk about. Instead of the three boys, the three wooden boys. <laughs> yes. Robin is a, a honorary wooden boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, nice. I am. Anyway, it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Um, this is a, a movie that I uh, saw over a month ago, and I'm still super freaking excited to talk about it. So can't wait. Before we get into that, all the usual stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcast at filmstage.com and go on to iTunes, whatever podcast you use to give us a comment and rating. Don't forget that you can become a patron of this podcast by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel where we talk about all manner of things. Today we were talking about some video game stuff, specifically remapping buttons when you jump instead of crouching, which is a tactical <laughs> mistake that you don't want to make on the battlefield. Um, we were also talking a little bit more about Glass Onion in celebration of that episode dropping uh, just the other day. So remember, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show, $1 an episode, Slack channel, first crack at raffles. It's awesome stuff. We are also brought to you by Mubi, curated streaming service that's dedicated to elevating great cinema from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. I would love to highlight a movie that is actually... One of the last movies that I saw before uh, the pandemic kicked off and destroyed life as we know it for a little while. This movie is Sorry We Missed You from Ken Loach. Uh, has anyone on this podcast seen this movie? No. no. Wow. That nope. shocks me, Robin. Uh, I know. But it's, again, one of those titles, like, it's so unmemorable that I 
it just kind of passes me by. Yes, it also it's very close with what was it? Sorry to bother you, the Boots Riley movie. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. another one that what was the Soderbergh like? No left Tape. move. Oh, no, no sudden move. No, I was gonna say no <laughs> wrong moves. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. That movie. The movie that gave me what was it? Vertigo and nausea. <laughs> yeah. I can all those fun yeah. Things. <laughs> anyway. Well, Ken Loach is awesome. I love this guy. This movie is actually only becoming more uh, urgent and necessary as the time goes on. Uh, I think that, especially with the, like the pandemic happening, you'll see why. Ricky and his family have been fighting an uphill battle against debt since the 2008 financial crash. An opportunity to regain some independence appears by becoming a self-employed delivery driver. But when he and his wife are pulled in different directions, everything will come to a breaking point. It's the feel-good movie of the winter. I will say, please watch this movie in a good mood because it won't last long. And if you start it when you're sad, <laughs> it's it's only going to get worse. But I really loved this movie. I think it was one of my top films of that year. Who can even remember? Um, it's oh, really, really that great. that destroyed my soul. I love it. Yeah, friggin' of course. Mm-hmm. I, this is me we're talking about. I mean, we're about to talk about another movie that pretty much destroyed my soul that I also loved. But I just want people to be ready. Ken Loach, not exactly a laugh a minute thrill ride. It's going to be a social realist drama. And for the people who like that, like moi, it's going to be awesome. So go and check that out on Mubi. You can check out Mubi for free for 30 days by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. So that's that. Anything to talk about before we get into Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is streaming now on Netflix? No, I think I'm ready to go. All right, sweet. Let's do it. Kicking it off here. I I don't feel like I need to say what the synopsis of this movie is. There's a puppet. No, do it. It comes to life. (laughs) Okay, the, all right, well, we'll get into it. I'm just going to play the trailer. I want to see what the IMDb one is, too. According to IMDb, <laughs> a father's wish magically brings a wooden boy to life in Italy, giving him a chance to care for the child. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but the fact that it says brings a wooden boy to life in Italy made me laugh <laughs> because this synopsis like in Italy. <laughs> did not establish that the father was also in Italy. Right. <laughs> so like I follow I follow a Twitter account that's called like Magical Realism Bot and it mm-hmm. just p- like cobbles together like a-, a vicar in Pennsylvania looks into an hourglass that contains every sandwich ever made. Like it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I feel like a father makes a wish that brings a wooden boy to life in Italy <laughs> is 100% <laughs> the kind of thing that that Twitter bot AI made. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't he doesn't really make a wish though, does he? Not in this film. We'll talk about it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question actually. I think the synopsis is missing all of like the Christ allegories and the the, uh, well, well, the, the, the other thing fascism. is the, <laughs> Yeah. The other thing is that Brian's like, kind of like, why do I need to read a synopsis for this movie? But why do you have to read a synopsis for any movie that we're going to talk about? Why? Why is this one different? Because there has been a cartoon made of yeah, it prior I feel like this to is this. A fairly famous story. Uh, I mean, uh, that's. I don't know. <laughs> like, there are certainly going to be people that this is going to be their first Pinocchio. 
I have never met such a person. Right. I was about to say, I, they would have to be like vanishingly young, like incredibly young. <laughs> okay. Just like okay. freshly born. Like the movie would have to be streaming on a nurse's phone while that child was born for this to be the first But I take the point. Yes. So uh, for all future episodes, I will not be saying a synopsis and anyone coming here to learn about the movie will be out in the cold. Anyway. Yeah, screw yourself. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> but to answer Bill's question, like, yeah, I don't, I, we, we, well, not even to answer Bill's question, just generally, I said I wasn't going to read the synopsis, and now we've talked about the synopsis for five minutes. Anyway, here is the trailer. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet. No, I'm not. I'm a real boy. <laughs> All right. That is part of the trailer for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is out now on Netflix. Um, this movie has been garnering quite a bit of awards attention. Um, this movie literally dropped the day that my awards ballot was due for Washington Area Film Critics Association. And I made a point to watch it because I was like, hey, stop motion Pinocchio. Might like it. Uh, long story short, this movie with, I don't know, six hours under its belt, won the Washington Area Film Critics Association. Wow. 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 You, didn't, you didn't get a, a screener of it? I did not. Maybe other people did. Maybe cooler people did. Netflix usually gives me like 17 pieces of furniture with their nonsense stamped on it. I once yeah, got you didn't seven get that? different boxes related to that George Clooney movie about space. Uh-huh. Not yeah. gravity. Oh, fuck that. The one yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. like Midnight Sun. Oh yeah, that one. No, no Midnight Astro. Sun. <laughs> yeah, Midnight Sun. And I never saw that, and no one spoke about it, and I'm still convinced that movie never existed. But instead, they didn't. Give me I, I still have that coffee table book because uh, Erica needed Erica needed uh, some books to display on our like new built-ins <laughs> in the living room, and she was like, wow. "Guess what I'm gonna do with all those stupid coffee table books that you keep getting from Netflix?" And I was like, "What?" She was like, "Display them." I was like, That's "Oh, hard. okay." They might as well be like empty fake books that you like hide a gun in yes i mean that's how that's you right. <laughs> i went to a uh i went to a hotel in washington where i was part of like a symposium or whatever and in one of the conference rooms there was like a giant library kind of like built in and i went up and i was like i bet all these books are like fake you know and instead they had clearly raided some kind of secondhand store and half the books were irving welsh books <laughs> so, like Skag Boys and Train Spotting was just hanging out in this office that was primarily used by like very high ranking government officials. It was incredibly funny to me. But anyway, we're here to talk about Pinocchio. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, that is. Um, not yes. Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. God. Did anyone and not watch that? Matteo Garoni's P- Pinocchio. Is that the one with Car- Carrot Top? No. Polly Shore? No. Garonis? That that sounds like the guy that made uh, reality. Is is that the movie? He also uh, did. Uh, he also did the Basile um, fairy tales and a tale of yeah, tales. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. the tale of tales. And he made yeah. Gamora. Oh, exactly. Oh, look at him go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great movie, by the way. I highly recommend the twenty twenty 
uh, Pinocchio. Yeah, he, he made Gamora. He made uh, Reality. Yeah, I really liked Reality. Um, yeah, okay. So there this was guy. a 2020 I know Pinocchio. Yeah. There's the 2021 Pinocchio colon A True Story. Um, this is by Vasily Rovenskia, and it stars Polly Shore as the voice of Pinocchio. Oh, that's the oh. one we're thinking of. Gotcha. I didn't see that one. And John- so Roberto Benigni did a Pinocchio years ago where he played yeah. Pinocchio, yep. which I loved, except it just didn't, you know, I think he was in his mid 40s at the time playing mm-hmm. a little boy. Oh, look, Tom which- Hanks did it. And what was that? Horror that's true. <laughs> I remember anyway. the Benini was really uh, was like torn apart when it came out. Did it? I don't remember the reviews. I it was no really fa- it was very faithful to the novel in terms of the plot. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there have been so many film versions of Pinocchio, like just, recently, you know, <laughs> and yeah. recently too. Yeah, that's well, the craziest the time, part. It's like the last three years. There's been a Pinocchio resurgence. Totally. And the, I think my viewing of the Del Toro one benefited from the fact that I had just seen the new Disney one with Tom Hanks as. Oh, you did watch Okay, so I was, that was going to be my question is, has anyone seen the, the Zemeckis? Mm-hmm. So you saw that. I did. How, and what it, was that experience it, like? It hurt my heart <laughs> oh. and soul. <laughs> <laughs> It, you know, I hate to say it because I actually I do lo- generally like Tom Hanks, um, but it was very much I, I was really surprised because I read a lot of online reviews of it and the online reviews were saying how faithful it was to the novel. And it was in no way faithful to the novel. It was it was a remake of the 1940 animated, you know, Disney yeah. classic in a, in a different format. Um, and so I think watching the Del Toro right after having seen that um, version of it just made the Del Toro seem even better than it, than it is by <laughs> contrast. <laughs> Benefiting from vastly lowered expectations. Yes. <laughs> I have only... So there was the Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie that came out, <laughs> but I did not see that. I remember that being like, oh, it's a big thing. He's doing Pinocchio, but I never saw it. I've only ever seen the animated Disney version um, mm. very recently, too, because my daughter loves that movie for some reason, um, which is funny, uh, only because like her mother, back when her mother was around, got a cat and then named it Cleo. Um, and this all happened before I was home and I was like, the cat can't, why was the cat named Cleo? She's like, Pinocchio. I was like, the fish was named Cleo. The cat was Figaro. And everyone was like, how do you know that? And I was like, cause I'm a broken man. But anyway, so that's why we have a boy cat named Cleo. But anyway, she loves that movie. There's an 89 or 1990 version that I remember watching a lot as a child. Um, when I look back, it was probably like a low budget anime movie that came out on vhs but i really strongly remember that because at some point in the film i think money grows on trees that must be from the novel as well or something but yes yeah hmm. that's what that's what they promise him will happen which of course doesn't right right they tell him it will yeah and it confused child me because i i think (laughs) that's when I think the lesson of that little vignette was that money does not grow on trees. And that's how I integrated that lesson in right. my life as a whatever three-year-old. 
Right, right. Actually, Brian, does so you said your daughter loves the Disney version of it, the 1940 yes. animated. So my niece got really terrified by the scene where they, you know, where Lampwick and Pinocchio are starting to transform into donkeys when they're in Playland. Did that mm-hmm. frighten her? Maybe, I don't know if my niece was younger when she was watching it. I was just curious about how actual real children react to the kind of scary, violent moments. So, no, actually, my daughter hasn't been scared by many movies that we watch, um, which is great for me as a person who doesn't want to just... I was actually talking about this with a, a, a friend of mine who was the mother of two girls who are on either side of my daughter in terms of age. Um, we were talking about movies, and I brought up this movie, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was so good. She's like, is it? Like, my daughter's cried everything, <laughs> and I was just be like, do not ever put this movie on for them (laughs) like she was talking about uh, there i can't even remember what it was this was literally yesterday and i've already forgotten she brought up like some very inoffensive movie Mm -hmm. and like said that like they could only get like into it by like 10 minutes because then like like a parent died or like just someone had some sort of unfortunate thing happen and like the girls were inconsolable um right and i was like wow that sucks my daughter watches movie where people get straight up murdered and is totally fine with it um (laughs) so she yeah i don't remember her having any kind of negative reaction to that this movie she definitely at one point seemed a little distressed (laughs) which we can get into i mean this movie i i i had a tweet when i was watching this movie and i was like the things i was not expecting to have to explain to my daughter upon putting on guillermo del toro's pinocchio fascism biblically angels Uh, (laughs) i was also like when the movie so this movie goes a lot more into the backstory of geppetto which i actually liked i like that 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 bond isn't just like oh he's a nice old man and he wants this boy to like be good um but when it opens with geppetto having a living human son i was like oh shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like Mm. you really have to make a choice at that point when you're watching with a six-year-old, are we prepared for this? And I thought I was. But this movie gets goes hard. So to answer your question, yeah, no problems with turning into donkeys. No problems with getting swallowed by a giant whale. No problems with right. uh, like being locked in a cage amongst a bunch of other puppets. This right, movie, right. I think it was just generally a sense of like, I don't want to say despair, but like there is a, a a a core of bleakness to this movie that doesn't get defeated until the very end. Um, right. There's a line. So what's funny is my 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 ex wife was coming to see my daughter that day and came into the house like right at the end. Um, and she the first line she heard I won't say because it's kind of a spoiler. But she immediately looked at me and said, oh, my God, is this appropriate for her? And I said, it's rated PG. (laughs) Well, I love see that that's, you know, those are the questions that to me are really fascinating, because I think part of what I really loved about this Pinocchio was that it really it changed a million things in the plot from the novel, um, which came out in 1881. I mean, the novel was written decades before fascism you know, even was a thing. So that's one change that, that he Mm -hmm. made, but he's, I felt like he was spiritually very close to the themes and the tone of the novel 
in, in like much closer than many other adaptations and films I've seen. But honestly, compared to the original novel, which was very specifically written for children, and it came out in installments in a children's magazine, this version is still sort of light and fluffy compared to the darkness of, of the novel uh, that Collodi wrote. Um, and I think wow. it just really, to me, it's really interesting how how historically and culturally specific are the criteria we use to figure out what's appropriate for children, right? And what yeah. children can handle. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I don't, my, so I'm trying to think of the way to put this. Like when my daughter was like three, we lost three of the elder members of our family um, mm. in very, like super quick succession. Like, I think it was like, May, June, July, like it was that fast. Like it just all wow. happened at once. So she got to go to three funerals um, <laughs> and we got to talk all about death for a long time. And then her dog, well, her dog, our dog died. Um, so that was also another thing. So I think like she, she's become very acquainted with the concept of death. We're Catholic. So every Sunday we go into a church there you go. Jesus yeah. is hanging on a cross and we get to talk yep. all about he he died and we're all going to die. Um which I think is good. I think it's it's you know she's Catholicism is so goth. Yeah, oh man, that's why everyone fucking loves it now. Everyone was like, "Wait a second. That guy is dead it's... and he's nailed to a cross. That's fucking punk as shit." Um <laughs> What was I going to I can't remember what I was going to say cuz I had to make that joke for Robin. Um I appreciated it. So you're talking about death a lot and then right. Like I think that died. like yeah. the cycle of life, this is another weird thing that uh, helped with the cycle of life is that um the, the cicadas that came out every 17 years happened. What was it last year or the year before? And we would go on walks and we would just be among literally thousands of dead and dying cicadas. And we're not used to seeing that much happening like you know like you see an ant on the sidewalk you're like look at that ant that single ant that i care about and then you're just walking through i don't know it looks like the omaha beach scene and saving private ryan except with cicadas <laughs> and you're just like inundated with it and you're just like look we could try to save some of them but you're not gonna be able to save all of them and some of them are like you don't even have to bother trying to save because they're already gone and so yeah she got very acquainted with mortality so yeah this is this but even still this movie i think in the way that it explores not just the concept of mortality but what it means to be a mortal and what it means to yeah. to die was actually very interesting um mm -hmm. so yeah good good for her good for cora <laughs> <laughs> was in fact uh, for this movie <laughs> this fact, is real i think oh yeah go ahead well, so, you know, it like, I think it was, was it Robin? Was it you who I was talking to? And I was just like, man, like having to describe fascism to a six-year-old yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. And you were like, well, at least she was okay with all the Christ allegories. And I was like, oh yeah, 100%. And, like there's a scene that where, when he's basically on a cross and she said, oh, it's like Jesus. And I was like, yep, you got that one. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. I mean, what I, I want to, to your point, Maria, I really valued this movie in particular because um i i read the collodi many years ago i mean mm. not, uh, when i was 15 let's just say i think that's when it was and 
I when I did read it, I remembered it being so much darker and funnier than I had anticipated. Like, you know, obviously I had seen the Pinocchio uh, Disney version and the book is much more surreal, much more. I don't know if like there's so much more like transmogrifying and dark life lessons and like he fucking kills Jiminy. Like, yes, not Jiminy in the book, but like, exactly. <laughs> literally, like Jiminy's <laughs> being like a little shit, and Pinocchio mm-hmm. just like smashes him to death with a hammer. So, I was yes. anticipating that scene in this the, movie. The second he picks up a hammer and said, What is it? What, what is it? Yes, yes. And I love Tell Del Toro. That's that's totally right, Robin. So, he's just called the talking cricket in the novel, mm-hmm. and he's really pedantic and finger wagging. Mm-hmm. And it's well, it's literally it's in chapter four. It's like right out of the starting gate. And Pinocchio just tells him to shut up and hurls a hammer at him and he <laughs> crushes him to death. And that's it. And I, I do love how Del Toro, like he really developed the character of, of the cricket. And, and that might be just because, you know, Disney made Jiminy so famous that you have to keep yeah. a really strong cricket character. Um, Can you imagine? But how even imagine if they had murdered that cricket like by minute twelve? He just never came back. But he does. Doesn't he come back as a ghost in the book? He does. It's true in the book. He comes back, I think, twice as a ghost. But he's not as uh, you know as central. But I love how Del Toro did kind of keep that motif where where Sebastian is being repeatedly smushed and crushed. And Mm -hmm. to me, that was sort of a nod to the Colodi scene of the of the hammer crushing. Um, That's 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 actually really interesting because I just loved that as a person who loves watching Wiley Coyote get crushed and then like stand (laughs) up and like have to reinflate himself. Like I've become, I think as, um, as more movies have done, like the, the Pixar thing where like, Ooh, it's realistic. And like, we have physics and like fabric moves. Right. I do miss like the squashy, stretchy, smushy, like cartoon logic that we Mm -hmm. don't really get anymore. It's one of the reasons I actually like, um, my daughter loves the hotel Transylvania movies. Mm. And I like those for that same, like nonsense physics kind of situation. Yeah, very classic style of animation. Yeah, I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to see a person get hit on the head, become flattened, then pop back, but then have a thing grow out of their head. That's all I want in my entire life. You mean like a a thing grow out of their like head? The you knot, mean like you a know how like the little yeah, knot the little knot, and okay, then like yeah, someone yeah. would throw a horseshoe at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I need. Um, Bill, did you like this movie? <laughs> Uh, I quite enjoyed it, but I was I was very much struck by how dark it was, um, which is, you know, I, I knew going in it's Guillermo del Toro. I was just like, OK, this is going to be dark. And uh, it was very dark. I think, uh, you know, Brian, like you were mentioning, I started this on a plane and within the first you know 20 minutes the boy dies and you're like oh shit okay um (laughs) you know it's gonna happen i knew it was going to happen but i just didn't know how it was gonna happen and for it to be a bomb that lands on him and i was just like oh wow that's that's rough like my goodness it's not a funny cartoon bomb it's not a looney no no it doesn't go this is war yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, there is all of this kind of war uh, thing going on. And uh, I love that someone's like, he's a super soldier. And it's like, bro, you got one of him. Like if if you had a hundred of him, maybe, but you got one, which just means (laughs) like he's just going to get shot. And then shot again and then shot again and like blown to smithereens. Like he's, he's immortal. He's not invincible. Like, <laughs> so I don't know that, 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 uh, that main villain in the film is kind of dumb. Oh, uh, fascists not, not <laughs> typically, they don't make great plans. I mean, sure. You, you, sure. You've probably heard about like half the goofy shit Hitler wanted to do. You know, these people are not super clever. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I I thought it was really well made. Um, I really enjoyed the the animation style. Um, I will always be a sucker for that kind of you know stop motion animation. Uh, I saw a little bit of behind the scenes. You know, I got sent the Netflix book as well as a lot of other people, and I got I think I got the death. I think I got the death uh, uh, Funko Pop, um, which now looking back at it uh that's kind of cool um but uh i saw a a little behind the scenes thing um and i think netflix actually has their little uh documentary up on the the main page as well after you see uh the movie but I saw that like Guillermo del Toro was behind a uh a very uh you know, obscenely large uh, Pinocchio head. And he was like, yeah, we use this when we want the cricket to be very small. And, you know, otherwise the cricket would have to be, you know, exceptionally tiny and wouldn't be able to be animated very well. I was just like, ah, what a joy seeing large Guillermo del Toro next to a giant Pinocchio head and then a small <laughs> Geppetto. Like, I, ah, wonderful. Why I love stop motion because I just watched the movie. And even though it is one of those things where I'm keenly aware of the artifice, somehow that just makes it better because stop motion is one of the few like filmic things where even though I know precisely how it's done, that only makes it seem more impossible. Yeah. Well, it's it's a lot of times it's not the thing itself being animated. It's the backgrounds and it's all the work and detail that goes into all of the stuff behind the scenes that you're just like, you know, you just have to sit there and go. I'm sure an animator is just like, why, why, why do we have to animate all this stuff in the background? Like, can we just keep it still? You know, like, why do people have to move? Why do people have to do anything? Like, can we just animate the puppet? It's like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's all of it. Yeah. That's an interesting thing because just to, to keep on the animation style for a bit, I don't, I don't know how much they did the backgrounds in this with full puppets, but I know that like, if you watch a lot of behind the scenes for Leica, they actually do lean more on um, like composited CGI. They've they've done it more and more with each one. And I think missing link was like the apotheosis of that. Like there was a lot of CGI in that movie and it's like seamless, but it's almost weird because it's like, that's the point at which I, I see their behind the scenes stuff. And I'm like, don't show me this. (laughs) Like, don't tell me how much CGI I used. And I know that those are artists too and everything, but like, it does feel like it's taking away just a bit. I'm going to get yelled at by that one visual effects guy on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't make them mad. They're like, 
Oh, I you know I was I was just reading I was just reading that uh, I I didn't know where I had heard Patrick McHale before. So he's the uh, co-screenwriter on this on the screenplay at least, Um, and. I have watched this uh, uh, Cartoon Network special a couple of years ago called Over the Garden Wall. Oh, yeah, uh, I think Elijah Wood had. Yeah, uh, he Elijah Wood is like a voice of one of the main characters. Um, I really love that. And that came out in 2017. Um, and so Mikhail is the creator of Over the Garden Wall. And so he co-wrote the screenplay, it looks like, um, oh, nice. which is wow. not surprising to me seeing kind of the animation style, seeing kind of the similarities there. Um, Over the Garden Wall is kind of about like like a boy that kind of starts to learn about this mysterious world that he just kind of suddenly inhabits and is like learning yeah, like more and every more. Every episode is like a slightly different, like old Old world animation style that's like really mm-hmm. i really like that show that's a really interesting show yeah so love it a lot. i thought that was that was an interesting little tie-in there this um, movie is also and- co-directed by mark gustafson who is a stop-motion animator extraordinaire um what else has he done so uh it like it's it's interesting because i was looking up his credits and there's a lot of like you know he's director but also animation department so like in terms of being a director did anyone here watch the show The PJs? No. I'm familiar with it, but I never watched it. Okay. The PJs was great. I loved The PJs. My friend CJ and I would uh, get together and watch The PJs together. It is a stop motion, um, kind of California Raisins almost level of stop motion um, that stars Eddie Murphy. And it's about... It's like the clay is very clayish. Yeah. I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> and it's like about um, an inner city housing project. And it's incredible. And I, when did that come out? That was like, that, that was, was 1999. Like so I was 12. Yeah. And me and my friend CJ would quote the PJs to one another. It was incredible. Um, but in terms of like the animation department, he was an animation director for the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, he did um, some work on Return to Oz, but also he was, the pr- he was a, a principal character claymation animator on the adventures of Mark Twain. Has anyone seen the adventures of Mark Twain? Oh, uh, I've never seen the full thing, but there was a very famous sequence with Satan of yes. Yeah. That is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah. I um. So talking about like weird things from the eighties that bleed into your brain, Robin, the adventures of Mark <laughs> Twain, things. I got shown by uh, my babysitter when I was very young. Uh, Mr. Becca Mui, shout out. Love you. Um, and this movie is just like in my brain. It was like it went when that when that clip went viral online and people were like, what is this? Does this exist? I was like, oh, God, it wasn't a dream. Mm-hmm. Like, I recall her putting this on. I don't know where she got it. I don't know where she found it. It is super fucked up. Um, but the sequence that I'm describing, like anybody can go Google that and watch it on YouTube. It is it's a really chilling, disturbing and very cool just animated sequence. Mm-hmm. Also very, a very clayish claymation. 100%. Like that movie, it looks like it's just made of modeling clay. And um, yeah, it's, it's like great. melting. <laughs> and I love it. Um, and the characters are mortifyingly terrifying. And yeah, I think if you look up, just Google like the adventures of Mark Twain, the stranger, I think is what it's mm-hmm. called. Yeah. And, um, thank you. Yeah. It'll, it'll wreck your day. Um, 
in a great way. So check that out. But yeah, so I wanted to make sure that we shouted out Mark Gustafson because, I mean, he's great and he's incredible. And I feel like a lot of times when like um, Wes Anderson or Guillermo del Toro, they do these things where like, ah, he's the director. But you forget that like in animation, you have like so many different artisans that work on it. And so I at least wanted to make sure we shouted out him as well. That's cool. So it sounds like we all like the movie to varying degrees. I agree with that statement. Unless someone wants to like come out with a hot take that they actually hated it, but they've been talking enthusiastically about it for the last 40 (laughs) minutes. Oh, I really, I really loved it. I was crying at the end and yeah, there were, there were moments where I was getting, you know, chills down my spine at different, different images and, um, and also, may, may I share some of the Italian puns that they put in oh, there? Please oh, do. yeah, dude. Totally. So, <laughs> so I love the fact that the mangy monkey character is uh, who is Spassatora. Spassatora, <laughs> which is the Italian word for garbage. I also love that in Italian. <laughs> In Italian, even the word for garbage is a beautiful sounding word, right? Spazzatura. And then when Pinocchio is doing his set, his un- uh, unexpected, can we do a spoiler? Are we all right to do kind of spoilers? Yeah, yeah. yeah I would say at this point, uh, I'm I'm pulling the pin. We're full on spoilers. <laughs> when he's doing his um, impromptu mocking of Mussolini in front of um in front of Mussolini. First of all, he keeps calling him dolce, which is like dessert instead yeah. of dolce. <laughs> the sweet. Yeah. The sweet, yeah. right? The sweet dessert. And then he has written, he wrote over Mussolini and put in puzzolini, which means stinky, you know, like, or <laughs> I, I smell. Um, and a beautiful scene in the that just also had me laughing. Uh, when he first walks into the church, and everyone in the congregation is sort of horrified by this monstrosity. And they start shouting things. One woman yells out, Malocchio. And he says, no, Pinocchio, which, you know, obviously rhymes. So the Malocchio is the evil eye, right? So it's mm. that uh, spell or that curse. Oh, because um, Occhio, eye. Well, Occhio's eye, right, yeah. right. Pinocchio, Malocchio. like, it. Uh, I read that it meant like pine eye. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's there's discussions, obviously, on, among the linguists. I, it definitely resonates with the Italian word for pine or pine nut. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is supposed to be like it's not the split pin occhio, but you're right. Occhio means eye. But I don't mm-hmm. think in this case it's a reference to an eye. I think it's a Tuscan kind of like central Italian variant of pine nut. Ah, interesting. So is yeah. the, is the name Pinuccia also mean related to nuts or something? Oh, I think that so so if you add on the suffix uccia, that's like an endearment. It's like cute little. So if a woman's name is like Giuseppina and then you call her Pinuccia, it's like oh cute little Josephine. Oh, right? so that yeah. so that name is a, in itself a diminutive Right, right. Ah, exactly. This is interesting. I also, uh, okay. I have a question about Italian in general. Now, since you're an expert, <laughs> is the na- is the word is there a word called scuromago? Does that mean anything? Scuromago. I mean, it sounds like it might mean dark magician. That's what I was thinking, but I tried to look it up, and it's not actually. I, I just couldn't find anything that meant 
that particular thing. But yeah, I, I've never seen, I've never heard it used like as a single word, scuro mago, but like right. scuro is dark and mago is male magician. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Was that, in the, did that come up in the film or is that? A, a, it didn't come up in the film, but I follow, well, this is sort of related. I follow a lot of miniaturists online. And, <sighs> uh, you know, so I, so I, there's somebody that I follow whose name, whose screen name is Scuramago. And I always kind of wondered if that meant, like you said, like a dark magician or I, I th- first thought it meant like dark room, but that is not the right word. Right. Yeah. So they probably, right. They probably made it, you know, yeah. Combine those words. Yeah. Yeah. For dark uh, but magician. This is <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other character, the uh, carnival leader, who seems it seems like Del Toro took like three or four different characters from the novel mm-hmm. and combined them, like made a composite. He's Count Volpe, and Volpe means fox in Italian. So I think that's also a nod to the the fox and the cat from the from yes. the book, of course. Right, but also, you know, he's say, he definitely uh, you know as someone who only knows the the original uh, adaptation from Disney, he's definitely like an honest John kind of sort. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I really appreciated all of those little linguistic, you know, um, jokes in there. But overall, I mean, even without them, as we've all been saying, the fact that it sort of brought back to an extent that that darkness and that like, you know, being unafraid to confront questions of death and mortality in a non saccharine, you know, non sugar coated sort of a way that certainly you know, is it play in the original scene, you know, was really welcome in, in this one for me, at least. I have a follow-up question about Italian, like, etymology. So, <laughs> Vulpe, I, you know, if you were just going by the the cognate, I would assume that's wolf. I know it's not, um, but is no, there a because a fox is a vulpus, right? Vulpus something? Mm. Right, vulpus, but, you know, like, when you vulpus, listen vulpus. to it, like, yeah, it, it sounds like it's like a like vulpe wolf, like you can- it sounds more like the English wolf, and I always begin to say wolf and stop myself. So right. The the, uh, the wolf is a lupo, l u p o, yeah. yeah, and volpe is fox. That's so yeah. I um I just I for whatever I don't know I I never even thought of that because like in my head the scientific name for fox is vulpus vulpus, and so I'm like there you go, like that's a uh, vulpe, yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and like, you know. And he kind of looks like a fox. And he's got like, you know, a sneaky, sly, foxy kind of attitude, you know? But isn't there totally. a wolf and a fox? Hmm? In the, in the story, isn't there a wolf and a fox? There's the, not, so in the, the fox. not in the film. Oh, I don't know. Nothing yeah. about no original story. <laughs> <laughs> There's the fox and the, right, the, and cat. the cat. Maybe a misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. There, there are, somebody counted them. I think it's something like over 60 talking animals in the original novel. I oh don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't does the freaking whale talk been, too? Does the, no, the so it's a shark. Okay. Um, and he doesn't talk. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a snake that literally dies laughing and um, a snail that takes like six hours to come down the steps and let Pinocchio into the blue fairy's house. It's fantastic. I just the, feel uh, like wait, everybody the, should read this book. <laughs> in the book, the blue fairy is a property owner. <laughs> yes, in fact, 
so I mean, one one thing that so many film versions do that really does change things is Geppetto does not wish for a son. There's no like this whole backstory of his previous <laughs> son, which Disney, which Disney did too this time, had him, you know, there's a real child who dies, and then Geppetto's this sweet, sad old man. Um, like nothing of the sort. Geppetto is this sort of really curmudgeonly, super wicked poor guy, carpenter, and he goes looking for a piece of wood because he wants to carve a puppet so he can make money. So he could go around and put on puppet shows and make money. Mm-hmm. Um and oh, so he was the original capitalist. Yeah, exactly. So it's very much less a sentimental story. And the Blue Fairy has nothing to do. There's no explanation in the novel as to why this piece of wood can come to life. But the Blue Fairy has nothing to She doesn't come by until much later in the story. So, yeah. So in the in the novel, he's like, oh, my God, I'm so poor. I'm going to make a puppet. And I'm going to become rich. And then out of nowhere, the puppet just comes to life. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was, there was this piece of wood that another carpenter had Geppetto's neighbor. Um, and every time this, the guy tries to take an ax to it and start to form it, it starts shouting, ouch, ouch. So then he passes it off to Geppetto. Cause he just doesn't want anything to do with this, you know, apparently, um, you know, a uh, enchanted magical thing that scares him to death. And so Geppetto takes it and starts carving it. And it's hilarious. Like the minute he carves his mouth, he sticks his tongue out at Geppetto. The minute he carves his leg, he, he punches, <laughs> oh, he, he kicks Geppetto in the nose. Why is and this then guy he still runs going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. If I'm carving something and a tongue sticks out of its mouth, it's going in the fire. I don't give a shit. It is done. It is over. It is quite inexplicable. Yes, exactly. I kind of love that image, though, and I'm sad that that's not something that's ever happened, but I feel like now Pinocchio has become like, oh, you wish hard enough and this boy comes to life. Though, to to echo, I think, what Bill had asked earlier, does he make a wish? He's definitely like, I'm going to, I miss my son. I'm going to take the pine cone that rolled out of the smoldering church. And I buried it, and it's this tree has grown, and now I'm going to cut it down, and I'm going to carve myself a new son. But he's not like he does. No, he well because when he's drunk against the tree, he does say like, "I want you here with me." Like, and then he curses yeah. God and says, "Why don't you answer my prayers?" So I guess yeah. like he sort of demands and prays for it. He doesn't like wish upon a star, but he's definitely got the desire for his exploded son to come back. I don't know, Bill. Is that acceptable? Yeah. Not quite, because he doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> wish. He doesn't wish Pinocchio. He he wishes for his son back, which I think is a very like uh, understandable thing to say, right? Biblical Out loud or whatever. Family of my good child. Right. Biblically want- <laughs> accurate angel number one is kind of an agent of chaos because she's like, "Look, I know you want your kid back. I'm going to give this puppet his soul, but he's not going to be the same." It's like very yeah, animal. And, yeah. It's very Frankenstein. I was going to say yes. Pet Cemetery, but yeah, Frankenstein as well. I said that to be annoying. You're, well, I did it back to you because I'm a mimic. Good. And also annoying. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Can we so, get into like So yeah, I don't think. <laughs> did you say Pinocchiology? Well, first I want to say, I was, I remember, I was actually kind of surprised how much I liked this movie just because like the trailer 
which I saw the first trailer, the one that I played, and it, it starts with the thing that I hate most in any movie that's like an adaptation or a remake, where it's like, you may think you know this story, but not the mm. whole story. And like, the fact that the movie is able to overcome that is incredible. Mm. It's like, it really does do good work. And I want to especially highlight the vocal talents of Ewan McGregor, who sells the absolute shit out of the cricket. Oh, it was so good. His <laughs> so little... Oh my God, I thought that was Killian uh, Murphy. Whoops. Wow. First of all, Killian Murphy is Irish. Ewan McGregor is Scottish. You absolute <laughs> racist. Sort of like... No, not Killian Murphy. Oh my God. Oh my God, no. I just confused oh boy. another one. Wow. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Our <laughs> listeners in the British Isles are writing sternly worded but elegantly oh, scripted shit. handwritten notes. What what is that guy's name? Now I don't I literally have no idea who you could be talking about. <laughs> oh, you about. know who it is. He was in the last King of Scotland. James McAvoy. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. I just At least I just they're both it, Scottish I again. myself. <laughs> I just don't I don't know if you played me audio of James McAvoy like 15 times. I probably wouldn't be able to recognize him. As I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know. I could, I could just, do it. <laughs> I could do it with Ewan for sure. Yeah, Ewan McGregor, even even when he's doing like an American accent, has still got like a very uh, <laughs> recognizable voice. Am I um, the only person that doesn't like him? Yeah. What? Like <laughs> What's not to like? Just like he's too charming. He's too good looking. He's too. Yeah, talented. you know I don't like charming or good looking ever. <laughs> I like creepy serial killers with red hair. I feel like. Does your husband listen to this? Yes. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, if you ever need to talk. She, man, she owns it. She owns it. She owns it. <laughs> um, Gregory. I don't Mann know has, if he owns it, but she My owns husband it. is sort of Pinocchio shaped in a way. He's very <laughs> this Pinocchio? Mm, he's I, Italian, okay. but he's That's, not Tuscan. Oh, well, that's, you know, we'll forgive him for that. Um, okay. I, I really like the the full-on living tree Pinocchio in this movie. I like mm. I like how inhuman he is. I think it's fun. Um, yes. Another, another fun part of this movie was like, do I have to, like, stop this movie to explain that this man is absolutely shit-faced wasted? <laughs> and that is why he is carving this abomination against God. <laughs> um, I didn't. I just said he was very upset, and she accepted that. Um, Pinocchio's, uh, character is further brought to life by the voice of Gregory Mann, who is very, very good. Um, I'm not sure if he's the singing voice, but I do know that I absolutely love the song. Everything is new to me. Yes. I love that song. It is mm-hmm. fantastic. I, that song was like stuck in my head for three days after seeing this movie. Yeah. Probably maybe the most memorable song for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally, oh no. Cause the crickets. Gets his song finally at the end. I was about to say, I literally don't remember another song in this movie. Um, I know there are more, but definitely that one is the best. And I then, did um, really appreciate if I could, I'm sorry, Brian, I just speaking of the music to jump in, they actually did insert a clip of Giovinezza, which was the actual fascist period sort of anthem of the fascists so that that's like a historical song that they dropped in there in addition to the obviously the ones they wrote for the movie so i really appreciate that little bit of the historical accuracy 
So I have a question. Um, this episode is just going to be called Robin has a question. Is, is, yeah, it's called Robin has a question about Pinocchiology. Um, Maria, have you been to Collodi in, in Italy? And if you have, did you go to Pinocchio Park? I I am so heartbroken that I haven't been there yet. So, uh, so Collodi, so the author's actual name was Carlo Lorenzini, and he was born in Florence, and he took the name Collodi, which was the uh, town in Tuscany, but outside of Florence, where his mother was from. Um, so as you know, Robin is right, there's like a huge theme park there. Oh, my goodness. But even like in all of Tuscany, I was actually at a restaurant once in Florence and sitting alone, you know, because I was there to look in the archives, my nerdy, my nerdy job. And there were these Americans at the table next to me and they were asking the waiter, why are there Pinocchio dolls everywhere Mm -hmm. in this town? (laughs) (laughs) Like they seem to have no idea that this was like had anything to do with Italy generally or, or or Tuscany specifically. But um Robin, have you have you been to the park in Colodi? Yeah, the reason I ask is because so um my husband and a really good friend of mine were on a on an Italian road trip this summer and we were in Tuscany. I think we were in um oh my goodness, like not Orvieto, uh, Siena. I think we were in Siena and we were gonna go to like a winery. And I saw that we were near Colodi and I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, F the vineyard. I don't care about wine. <laughs> like take me to like the land of Pinocchio. And it, it, it is a really interesting place because it's very, it's like, it's a theme park. Um, but it's like a sad, dusty 1940s theme park like nothing has really been updated oh man but it was so interesting like that sounds i loved it it was really cool (laughs) like it was really cool like there was a i mean there was a giant fountain that was like this surreal whale and it was water was coming out of it i mean it was it was a lot of like almost folk art based so instead of disney that is very plastic but i mean i love disney you know world but that is obviously an incredibly designed and engineered place and everything feels very intentional. And this is like a collage. Like if somebody had a Pinocchio themed thing, they probably donated it to this park. Like that's what it feels like. So there's little Mm. dioramas everywhere. And there is a, a caravan that you could walk through. That's sort of like the, um, like the traveling puppet show thing. And it's all just, feels a little bit moldy but in like a fun way like in a fun real way instead of a plasticky disnified way so i was just i was curious right. if you had been there because i think you would have you could get a lot out of it um yeah it's definitely on my bucket list and you know particularly now that we can travel again after the pandemic pause um but yeah thank you for i've actually not spoken to anybody who's been there so that is really oh that makes me feel even more special (laughs) so okay i'm on discovertuscany.com where they have a page obviously about the pinocchio park this is like my buckies it (laughs) is like oh my god (laughs) freaking incredible looking i will say however i don't know that i know what this sentence is talking about one of the most beautiful attractions of the Pinocchio Park is, without a doubt, the great dogfish shark. There is a picture That's of it. That's the big whale. That's I wouldn't the big say whale. I wouldn't say it's beautiful. It is 
harrowing it's interesting. and it's nightmarish. Avant-garde. <laughs> but I would say it's an avant-garde, like what do they call it? The cut the the whale dogfish? <laughs> what were you about to say? It's the great dogfish shark. Shark, yeah. So it says, but then in a parenthetical, it says, transformed into the cutest whale possible in Disney's version of the tale. And have I been drunk the last six years? That <laughs> whale is horrifying in the Disney version, isn't it? It's not cute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like awful. A giant steaming beast. I don't remember, but it, a dogfish, what it. That's in, that's an interesting way of putting it because in Italian isn't whale like pesce cane? Yeah. So so shark is squalo and whale is balena, and Colodi uses the term pesce cane, which literally means fish dog, you know, or dogfish. So, um, but I'm, I'm, a, there yeah, is a dogfish shark. It is a small yes. bottom dwelling shark. You know, so like just size it up a little bit and you got a right. shark. There you <laughs> go. It's it's a squala day is what it's like uh what is this? Family that name. Pretty cute. It it does not look terrifying. It looks like a normal like it, not even a normal shark. It looks like a like a little baby like harmless baby shark. So shark do 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 wait till that movie comes out, by the way. So the fact that like they made this thing look the way it does. It's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, because nowadays we probably have something that looks like this, especially right, in like the Guillermo del Toro one. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, uh, I just expected to look up dogfish shark and to be like, oh, yeah. Okay. See, good the, job. The, the, but the one, it doesn't creature, look like that at all. The creature in this movie, the Leviathan, is like, I, I would expect to be found in like some sort of weird pond in Mississippi where a man <laughs> in, in waders tells me that he's like hunting mud gulpers. And then he mm-hmm. like hoists this thing out of the mire. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, that's what that is called. But they call I, it, I they, do they have call to it s- a dogfish or something in this movie, right? Like am, he calls it a dogfish. Yes. He, he calls it a dogfish. Yeah, and whoever plays that that uh, that uh, <laughs> captain, he is hilarious. I, <laughs> I love his his like very quick story of like you can't go out on those waters, and <laughs> you know Geppetto's like why, and I will give you money, and he's just like, well, there's this giant dogfish that kills people and geppetto's just like i'll give you all my money like take me there i gotta go <laughs> and is immediately swallowed like there is no like build up of anticipation or like <laughs> it's not like hunting them it's just like he goes out on the ocean and the guy's like i told you one foot one more time <laughs> motherfucker like i'm gonna get you and so he's just like is, yep <laughs> that is played by tom kenny who is mussolini Whatever the hell right hand uh, man is, and he he he's he's SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes, but in this movie, he plays someone called yeah. Right Hand Man, and I do not know who that is. <laughs> I will say it's crazy that like Kate Blanchett is Spazatura. Yeah, yeah. like Tim yeah. Nelson <laughs> is the Black Rabbits. Christoph and I Holt, was reading that that Tilda Swinton is the Wood Sprite. <laughs> 
It's, it's I was reading that Kate Blanchett. Yeah, of course it is. Uh, I was reading oh, that Kate Blanchett. Of art film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was reading that Kate Blanchett literally like came to Del Toro and was like, I want a role in this movie. And he was like, well, all the roles are taken, except I guess I have a monkey character that isn't being voiced. And she was just like done. And apparently she also voiced it like frame or like scene by scene instead of just like giving a library of like emotions and like sounds. And instead was just like, no, I'm just, I'm going to be a monkey. And so Alan Tudyk was the chicken in Moana. (laughs) Just like, look, man, we're trying to like, you know, use appropriate actors in this. And he's like, no, that's cool. And they're like, you could be the chicken. And there is, there is video of him like getting direction as the Mm -hmm. chicken and like balking. And he's like, do you want like a little more fear this time? Should it be like more curiosity? And then at some point he breaks down laughing and he, I think he says something like, I went to Juilliard. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I hate that chicken in Moana, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. Should have oh, been the pig. Should have been the pig. Should have been the pig. Yeah, the pig is what great. What was that friggin' chicken's name? Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Yeah, yeah hey, okay. hey's a, a, sca- a scourge, a scourge. Yes. I, I am hey, hey. So you're hey, I was hey, gonna say, is is that Pinocchio. yeah? Is, is your husband not <laughs> hey happening? hey? My husband is also hey hey. <laughs> like, do you ever do that thing where you watch a movie and then you're like, which one are you in the movie? No, I'm, I'm no. I rarely do that. Thing is what I'm saying. Okay, well, that that's I don't know what that says about you, Robin, but. <laughs> Says that I am a very small mouse inside. A very small mouse. This is why I love children's literature. Okay. Because you can be a small mouse. Yes. yes. <laughs> I am Stuart Little. Oh. So I am. Um... So Robin, who are you? Who are you in Pinocchio? Oh, good question. Spazzatura. Um, actually, I am not the dumbest thing in this movie. I am the scariest thing in this movie, which is Spazzatura. No, Spazzatura. I am probably the Death? blue fairy. Yeah. Well, whatever the yeah. the, the version of blue fairy in this. Yeah. Okay. I really like that. Um, the, the wood yeah, sprite. She was very cool. Biblical yeah, angel number one. <clears throat> yes. I like yeah, her a lot. Great. I liked her. Um. She was wonderful. Liked that. Um, you know, what's interesting is we we talked about the Christ allegory and stuff. The one place where this movie, I feel like it took like a real, like a, it's, I don't want to call it a misstep, but it is strange that like they have Pinocchio say to Geppetto, like everybody likes him and he points to like the wooden Jesus on the cross and he's like, and he's made of wood, but why don't they like me? And I was expecting Geppetto to say something about like, oh, well, you know, like he sacrificed his life for like people that he loved and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously that would tie in at the end super cleanly. But instead he was like, people are going to get to know you and they're going to like you. And I was like, that's like, uh, like it just felt weird. It just felt like incomplete. Like it was like a placeholder Mm -hmm. thought where they're like, we should come back and write this better. And then they just never did. And in fact, I rewatched that scene today specifically because it's that it's like this one splinter haha, in my brain regarding this movie as like the one thematic misstep 
Mm. Where like even if you aren't trying to like make an ex- but like you're clearly trying to make an explicitly Christian allegory, you literally have the Pinocchio on a cross at some point right, about to right. get murdered. Um, so it just struck me as weird that like they didn't use that as a chance to tie into his his like emotional growth of like oh right I now am not the Im- impulsive like selfish child I was I'm going to give up my gift so that I can save my dad uh, fulfilling the Christ allegory that you could have set up very cleanly in a church talking about literally Jesus earlier. Right. Um, I just haven't been able to like bitch about that to anyone else in my life. So I needed to do it here. We don't have to talk more about it though. I would be interested to know if other people found that to be weird or if I'm just alone in this. So that was actually when he asks that question, that was one of the moments where I sort of got chills down my spine. I don't know what, you know, I just thought that was such a powerful moment when he puts the question out there. And I think you're right. Like Geppetto's answer to it was, you know, I guess the way in which a lot of adults try to answer their kids really hard questions with something that's a little watered down or, you know, less hard to wrap your head around. But I I was also thinking, and I could be like way, way off base with this, but was this a way not to press on the allegory of of Pinocchio as as Christ, but to do a sort of social critique of, you know, Christians who claim to love Jesus will also mock and exclude and and hate anyone who's different, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. the, uh, 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 you know critique of of social hypocrisy or something yeah but But, like that that makes sense but unfortunately like i don't think that the movie follows through on that particular line true yeah just because like again like he he finds his true boyhood and like makes friends with people through his emotional evolution like that's the reason why candlewick candlewick lampwick what's the kid no it's candlewick in this movie it's in this one it's candlewick Yeah. yeah Um, like eventually helps him out and like stands up to his dad. Like I don't know. It, like I, it's, I, I could understand like even leaning on the hypocrisy of especially Christians in a fascist state who aren't like standing up to the very clearly evil people. It, right. It felt like it was weird that it wouldn't touch that and then use that as a chance to then interrogate that more. Cause I mean like you've got Pinocchio who, say what you will about him doesn't have like the best social graces he'll ask the uncomfortable question so like <laughs> why not utilize that a little more right but i can right. understand what you're saying like a, a like person who's not ready to have that hard conversation trying to like push it off um, right i don't know if it's if one day she's going to be telling this to like a therapist but i've never done that for my daughter almost any time <laughs> she's asked a question i've been like all right sit down it's this is happening now um <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know what that's like. So if you're a parent out there who's ever like watered something down for your kid in that way, please let me know. I did love how he does overall in the film, like visually, you know, through the the very visible nails hammered into Pinocchio's mm-hmm. wooden body. And then, as you say, later in the film where he's on a cross, you know, and and, and they're trying to burn him. Um you know, really made explicit that analogy that it's it's there in the novel, but it's much more subtle. Um, 
And I've, and I've had students get really angry. <laughs> They're like, Pinocchio cannot be Jesus. Jesus was the nicest, most wonderful person in the world. And Pinocchio is a huge asshole. And he's just, <laughs> he never learns. <laughs> they, get, they get quite irate at the suggestion. But um, I, I liked how Del Toro did. And I, I agree, maybe he could have managed that moment um, more powerfully. But overall, I liked how he really brought that what you know something that was i think a little more latent and implicit in the novel brought to the fore i find that interesting like i I don't know like as uh, it's it's always weird when i hear about like people's reactions to like any religiosity and anything because like i'm a practicing catholic you would think i would have an opinion about something like that but to someone was like hey pinocchio (laughs) is a christ allegory i'd be like totally sure yeah I'm not like tied to Jesus being like the nicest guy ever. Like that's that's fine with me. I don't like that's not a problem. I'm not like precious about the character of Jesus, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But also like you can break it down. Like, you know, no one has to follow everything like beat by beat. It's like as long as he dies and comes back better and vanquishes evil. Like, there you go. Your Christ allegory is fulfilled. <laughs> you know? has made this story so enduring. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, was that a question? Like what has made it? Yeah. Like, what do you think there is about this base story that has helped it endure for so long? Cause it's, it's 130 years old, almost or 150 years old, almost like puppets. I think, I think, I think the big one for me is, is the idea that your nose grows when you, when you lie, like that's, that's like a a thing. Yeah. That's like a super um, charismatic like feature to have as a character (laughs) well but it's also like something that you know when we talk about like larger than life people right Mm -hmm. uh we talk about like sports figures (laughs) i I was gonna say sports figures yeah i don't know either (laughs) but uh sports figures and things like that usually the the way that you can tell someone is is like a larger than life sports figure is if people that don't even follow that sport know who that person person is so like michael jordan uh stuff like that where it's just like oh yeah i know who that person is but i don't give a shit about basketball you know um and so like people may not even know that like the idea that your nose grows when you know you lie that's like that's like a fairy tale in and of itself right that's like a myth that like parents sometimes tell their kids or like teachers and stuff like that is don't don't go telling lies otherwise your nose will grow and it's just like oh but that's like a key central point of this story as well. Did that, you know, did that come from the story or was that around? Does anyone know? I think so. I agree with Bill that that has become sort of the, the most iconic feature or like the shorthand, you know, if you don't know anything about Pinocchio, that's what you know about him. And it's yeah. so mm. pow- like such a powerful image. I don't think that's a good question if it, if Collodi took it from an older fairy tale tradition, but it certainly was, he's the one that, that made it the, as famous as it is today. But something that's to me so interesting that again is uh, every, many of the adaptations that you see from, from the 1940 Disney on is that every time Pinocchio tells a lie, his nose grows. 
and it grows only when he tells a lie. And in the novel, that's not the case. Like his nose will grow at times when he's hungry. Um, and other times, <laughs> and other times he tells a lie and his nose doesn't grow. You know, he gets away with it. And it's much more fickle and unreliable um, of an indicator of his veracity than than. The, and it seems like the adaptations just didn't want to deal with that ambiguity and made it like a very clear cut barometer of truth. Right, Pete, um, they, made it so moralistic. Walt Disney is sitting there and he's like, "Look, if I just have this friggin' nose grow whenever, people are gonna yell at me. We need it to have right. rules. You're gonna think I'm the bad writer when really it was this Italian asshole." <laughs> That is the totally. type of thing that would, I don't know. I mean, like, as long as, like, they don't say, like, every time you lie, your nose grows, and then it just grows whenever, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think it's kind of fun to have a chaos nose. <laughs> so, for me, the thing that makes Pinocchio something that we come back to <clears throat> is that it's, like, a very aspirational story. And it's, it's like, a, a very hopeful story. Like, I, it's, like, I don't know. So many people are like, uh, humans are the worst. Like, uh, people are awful. And here's a story about a little wooden boy who wants nothing more than to become a real person because mm -hmm. he recognizes it as the apotheosis of achievement and like a thing that is worth aspiring to. And in so doing teaches us what it is that we should aspire to as humans. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a very powerful image. Like any, any movie or thing where someone wants to become like real you know, it has something innate to say about humanity. You know, like there's there's a reason that some of these these stories persist and some go by the wayside. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times the simplicity and the inherent like human hopefulness of the message as like cliche and old fashioned as that might sound like mm -hmm. are what stick around. You know, no, no one on Earth went to go see Strange World because who gives a fuck? Like instead... <laughs> You know, we flock to movies that are are more essential to human nature and and tell us something like good and honest about ourselves as people. So that's why I think Pinocchio is stuck around. <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad we're recording this because <laughs> that was yeah, absolutely. I think that's just it just gets to the heart of things. And in fact, when I first read that del toro was planning to set it in fascist italy i mean I, you know i was surprised because of course it was written well before fascism but one of my first thoughts was you know part of i think what makes this story so enduring um and so productive and rich of so many translations adaptations sequels variations is that Claudi specifically didn't lock it down to a specific time or a specific place, right? There are no actual real geographic names um, anywhere in the novel. And there's no sense of, you know, when, no, no allusions to, to, you know, actual historical people. So there's the, like the timelessness of, of the fairy tale genre built into it. Um, but then, you know, I ended up loving the del Toro and I loved how he took those themes that Brian was talking about and, um, kind of uh, explored them in the context of, you know, a, a growing authoritarian regime, right? Um, because you can apply, you know, the, that's a kind of scenario in which you need to start thinking about, like, what does it mean to be human and who controls you? I think the other, there's the growing nose and then there's also the stringless puppet, right? Mm -hmm. 
It's like mm-hmm. a marionette yeah. that has no strings. So like that question where he turns back to the other character and says, who controls you? I think that's also like an enduring human question, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like um, about free will and influence and power. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, all 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 forms of economic and societal dictatorship seek to turn people into stringless puppets you know you want they want you to dance to the tune that is drummed by whosoever's in power to the point where you don't even have thoughts outside of what they want you to have so they don't have to worry about it um it's interesting that this movie seems to lightly indict both religion and school in that um you know these things that are generally i would say uh net positives for humanity but get corrupted by the human mm-hmm. institutions that they have to exist within. And mm-hmm. um, especially in like a fascist state where if you don't toe the line, you get destroyed. And so you mm-hmm. make those little concessions to keep doing what you think is a good thing. And mm-hmm. then eventually, you know, you, you, you don't even realize that the strings have been connected to you, man. Wake up people. Anyway, <clears throat> I realized that I started to sound like a conspiracy theorist. So I decided to lean in. Um, but yeah, I, and what, what's funny is that like when I heard that Guillermo del Toro was making a stop motion Pinocchio set during the rise of fascism in Italy is I rolled my eyes so hard I had to skip work for three days. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, of course, he's doing a fascist thing again. Of course, it's going to be. I bet that it's going to look weird. And like, yeah, I actually I didn't like this movie. Up until I saw it. And then I was like, oh, shit, he did it. Oh, like, my I'm, God. Do you realize how annoying that sounds? I mean, it's 100% annoying. But like every, <laughs> but every once in a while. That's like you yelling at a, a, one of our guests for being like, I hated the movie before I even saw it. Like, so did fucking you. Yeah, but she continued to dislike it and took every chance to make bad faith arguments against it. Whereas I gave this movie mm-hmm. a fair shake, as I give all movies. And I ended up really enjoying it. And it's one of my top 10 movies of the year. Because I can recognize everything that Del Toro does that usually doesn't work for me or sits on a very thin razor blades edge that sometimes gets wrong. Like, I love Pan's Labyrinth. Movie rips. Amazing. Fantastic. (laughs) Mimic. Fan. (laughs) Played two. Really good. Um, But, like, I hated The Shape of Water. Fish movie, not so good. Which one? Fish fuck. Yeah, I hate yeah, the, the fish fucking movie. The movie where the woman fucks the fish. I was like, this is so out of control. I was like, this That's man. so green. That palette was making me sick. The palette was, <laughs> was ichthian and nauseated. Um... God, that's the most pretentious sentence I've ever said. Yeah, I'm going to punch you through the screen. <laughs> is that what you're mailing me? Are you mailing me a punch? Uh, I'll include it in the a giant Looney Tunes like <laughs> like uh, uh, yeah, what is it's it? gonna be a uh, boxing glove, glove. On a spring. Yep, yep. You like cartoons? Exactly. Here you go, motherfucker. I'll send you a pie that I will then ask you to crush onto your head. Yes, please <laughs> send video of you smacking yourself in the face with this cream pie. So I liked Hellboy. I liked Pan's Labyrinth. I liked Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. Did not like the Pacific Rim or just Pacific Rim. I never saw the strain. I did not like Crimson Peak. I did not like The Shape of Water. I did not bother to see Nightmare Alley because honestly, I don't even know. Was that released? Was that another Netflix one? Let's not get into it. No, no, no. That was that was a full on release. Anyway, yeah. I didn't Big. see it. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I was like, you know, the man has not made something that, you know, hit me in like literally 10 years. 
Um, so I was I was deeply concerned, but I wanted it to. I want. I always want the movies I see to be good. I'm never like excited when I hate something. So. <laughs> You know, I'm not that kind of person, especially now that like I'm a single dad with three jobs because I'm like, I just wasted two hours. I could have spent rewatching Tenet, watching something that sucks. But instead, this movie was incredible. And I feel like it finds that balance. And I think that part of it is, you know, uh, as as Bill highlighted, Patrick McHale on the screenplay side. I think Mark Gustafson, I think honestly, maybe the limitations of stop motion and the necessity for like economy and the expressiveness of the puppets like helps a lot. I just think that this, when he's making a storybook story, well, no, cause shape of water is a storybook story and that was fucking terrible. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know what the secret sauce is, but I'm always going to watch a new Del Toro if I can get to it because you know, every once in a while he makes a movie where I'm like, Oh, that was great. That was top of the year. Even if every once in a while he makes the shape of water and I'm just like, what the hell is with the friggin' eggs? And everybody else loves it. And we're just sitting here like, oh, I don't I don't get What's it. Funny is, Robin, you know, I I was really excited for the shape of water. I I, I, I was extremely. Idea. Yeah, I remember being I was shocked like, that wow, like that movie, Bill. But like I, it was the opposite I know. Of Pinocchio, where I was like, oh, man, this movie is going to be so awesome. You're going to have a deaf woman who teaches a fish man to sign. And they are going to fall in love because they're going to have like deep, meaningful conversations because she's going to find the humanity inherent in him. And it's the opposite of this movie where Pinocchio becomes a human, where that fish dude remains a fish dude. It's like the, <laughs> it's like the, 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 oh, what was it? Was it a Bud Light commercial where it's like Bud Light now gives you the ability to talk to dogs. And the guy walks up to his dog. He's like, hey, buddy, what's going on? And the dog just says sausages, sausages, sausages over and over again. And I'm just like, there's no romance here. <laughs> anyway, I never wanted to talk about Shape of Water again, but here we are. The um, heart wants what it wants. It wants eggs. <laughs> I, 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 I wish the fish man would have just torn her apart instead. Like, <laughs> so no, funny. no. Like, oh, you want to have sex with me? Well, I just want to destroy things. Like, so uh, you, you misread this situation. Didn't that movie lady. win an Academy Award? Yes, it did. God, that's insanity. Which one? Was it picture? Shape of Water? Uh, yeah. Yeah. God. I think it was for a director. I thought it was picture. Oh, no, and picture. Oh, my God. That's worse. Anyway. Yes. I'm over it. <laughs> I can't even remember how we got onto this. <laughs> I'm still like reeling. Like, I'm still mad about that best picture win. The Shape of Water? Yeah, I, yeah, we I all was should like, be. I was there in a reverie about street. it. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But alas, I'm sorry, Maria. How did you feel about Shape of Water? <laughs> yeah, are you generally okay. a Del Toro person? Maria? Yeah, I was going to ask that. I am so embarrassed, Tiara. This is the only Del Toro film I've ever seen. This don't is oh. don't be embarrassed. And <laughs> don't watch it. <laughs> I did really love Glass Onion, though. <laughs> I, know I you thought guys I did that last week. <laughs> he thought I he loved did it until I got my claws into his brain. And now it's <laughs> down to three and a half stars. Even though on that podcast, it definitely sounds like I'm talking about a two star movie. I don't know. You are talking about a two star movie. Two out of four. <laughs> God, you and your four star nonsense. You know what's funny though is I talked to a friend the other day about the menu, and mm-hmm. she was like. 
I don't know. Like, I feel like it could have been like maybe like the ending could have been like snappier or more meaningful. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, it's just like a good movie. It's just like a nice 3.5 yeah. star movie. And she said, out of five? And I said, yeah, out of what? Expecting her to say four. And then I could yell at her like I yell at you. <laughs> and she said, 10. Oh, was no. like, Nobody that, gives she's 10 an agent stars. of chaos and you should cut her out of your life. <laughs> I thought about it. I was like, I, and I, I look back on the text. I was like, I didn't say 3.5 and I said 3.5 star. <laughs> so it's not like she was like, oh, a 3.5 on a 10 scale, which would make sense. You know, oh, I give this like a six out of 10. No, she thought that I'm some sort of insane maniac who gives out stars in multiples of 10 disgusting i know god i can't believe she would think that of me it really makes me question the entirety of our friendship and whether she's ever actually listened to me well who would anyway so maria are you from the new york area yes can you hear i'm a little tired so my i think my long island accent is coming out oh i'm also from long island and i heard it when you said florence (laughs) excellent where whereabouts on long island uh, well, I grew up in a lot of different places. We moved around a lot, but I mostly lived in Woodbury, East Meadow, Belmore, that, those areas. Okay. Is that not out in Nassau County or is yes. that Suffolk? Okay. Yeah, I'm Suffolk. So I'm way, oh, up. Okay. I'm way out in the burbs. Your country. Yeah. Your farm. <laughs> My people are from Queens. So nice. And so we have all, we just keep getting closer and closer to the city there. Right? Yeah. But then we like skip over to Dallas for Bill. Just like, whoops. Uh, okay. <laughs> we slipped. We slid across half Bill the map. is our diversity. <laughs> I, um, I was actually talking to someone at the distillery the other day, and they were like, oh, where were, like, you know, oh, I'm from there too. Like, where were you born? And I was like, oh, I was born at, well, you know, it's funny because it could be Queens or it could be Nassau. It was technically New Hyde Park. He's like, oh, you're from Long Island Jewish Medical, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and his, because apparently he was born there too and has had the same friggin' problem as I have. Where you like write something down on a security form and you like like Long Island Jewish Medical just sits on the county and mm-hmm. city line and everyone's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Radiology is in one. Billing mm-hmm. is in another. Oh, my God. That's, That's hilarious. Too funny. Yeah, it's annoying as shit. I almost lost security clearance once because they thought I was like just like very badly telling a cover story. <laughs> this man doesn't even know how to fill out a form. <laughs> right. He can't like because I like seven years ago I had said Queens and then I finally right. looked it up and I was like, oh, no, I'm technically New Hyde Park. And they're like, oh, mm. <laughs> this man forgot his cover story. You like, narked like- on yourself. Yeah, it's bananas. Self-narking, that's the lowest of all. I literally had to work with someone from the Office of Personnel Management who has, like, a badge to, like, figure out how to fix it. It was was terrifying. I thought I was going to lose my job. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not great. So we talked a little bit about the music, but what was everybody's thoughts on some of the songs? Because, frankly, you know, I saw this movie back in December. I only really remember New to Me. Um, which I really liked. And I know Chow Papa is the one that's getting a lot of the awards recognition, you know, the FYC stuff, but that's the new to me is really much more memorable to me. I loved that new to me because I thought that really just so captured the sort of the spirit of Pinocchio as, you know, this impulsive impish, you know, not yet controlling kind of id right yeah figure but also his sort of sweetness as well right Mm -hmm. um the innocence yeah yeah um and 
the you know I loved I love the whole motif of every time Sebastian tries to start singing something prevents him. I thought that was hilarious. I'm not a huge fan of like I don't know when I when I heard that there was going to be music in this, I was like, oh god. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like how how Lin Manuel Miranda can it get? <laughs> But it did. I, I guess I. I think it worked. You know that that's not a very well informed comment, but you know, <laughs> it, it worked. It like it didn't annoy me, and and the, the sweet songs were sweet. Um, but nothing. I didn't go. You know, it wasn't like I remember seeing. Uh, God forgive me, like Little Mermaid, and I was just singing "Kiss the Girl" for like mm. weeks and weeks, and you know there was nothing like that's. You know, none of those. Um, Earworms. Earworms. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. What did you call it? A torment. (laughs) It's getting later. So the the Italian word came to hit my mind first. (laughs) I love it. The tormentone, like a tormentor, you know? Oh my God. Tormentone. Gonna write that. My husband, the tormentone. (laughs) What is that? Oh boy. I am. Jesus. <laughs> She's just leaning into it now. Um, I'm curious. The, the 1940 Disney film is that a musical? Yeah, that's yeah. where uh, when you wish no strings to hold me down. Yeah, okay. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Clearly, I think it's worth revisiting because from what I, I watched it like two or three years ago, and there were like two or three anal sex jokes like in the first. <laughs> Like two minutes of the movie, just like these visuals. Is that guys. why you're recommending it? No, I just think it's like much funnier <laughs> than people realize. Robin, can you please tell me what you believe the anal sex jokes I in? Feel like it's not pornographic, but there's at least a couple of visual jokes in like literally the first three minutes of the movie where things are going up people's bums or like towards oh people's bums. I mean, like, I know that like Jiminy Cricket gets like kicked. And yeah, I think I, like burns well, his ass that, yes. at some point. There's also like uh, there's a shot in the start of the film where you see all of Geppetto's toys. Mm-hmm. So there's like cuckoo clocks and, yeah. you know, I'll, why is it like that doesn't make sense in hindsight. Like everybody is wearing like German outfits or whatever. But um, so you're doing, you know, well, the Swiss cuckoo these... clocks and you're going to you're going to mm-hmm. write there. You're going to carve whittle. No, that. no, I understand that, but I'm like, that's not particularly like Italian. why why is Pinocchio yeah, why is Pinocchio oh, dressed like a like a this is Austrian. Yeah. Actually I was just reading um, you know, it came out in nineteen forty. So actually Italy was under Mussolini in 1940 Mm. and we were about to go to war with them. So I think that I think at least one critic has speculated you know, setting it too overtly in Italy would have just been out of touch with the historical moment in 1940 in the U.S. Yeah, but what, like setting a movie in Ukraine, <laughs> like right. like the Baba Yaga story or something. <laughs> oh man, that was so so. I I joked about it earlier, but I did in fact watch Tenet the other day, and that movie opens in the Ukraine in Ukraine, mm. and I was just like, oh, I wonder if this is still around. Then that means it ends in the Ukraine, right? No, it ends in the the final battle is in like a Soviet. Oh, maybe it's the Ukraine. I thought it was in Russia. Uh-huh. A, it's a, it is a quote unquote Soviet secret city, which I don't think they did in the Ukraine. I think it was like in the weird mm-hmm. empty parts of Russia. But yeah, you could be right. I don't know. I'll watch it again tonight and let you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, but the opening scene, you're ta- you're talking about the, the, uh, the opera. The, like the opera. Okay, yeah, man. Oh, God. sorry. I thought you what, a, what a fucking movie. Pinocchio. Yes, the opening scene of Pinocchio <laughs> takes place in the yeah, Ukrainian yeah, the opera. <laughs> well, what I was saying is the opening scene of Pinocchio where you see all of Geppetto's little creations, there's at least one or two visual jokes about, like, butts and oh my God. going into butts. I mean, it's all very tongue-in-cheek, you know, well. That's all. As it were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's a little more wink wink than we seem to remember. Right. right. Okay. I don't know. I'll go I'll, and uh, I'll try and watch it. Or ask to watch it again. I'll I look out for fun. all the anal sex. I think jokes. it's a fun little movie. It's it is so, a I did it just because I love to talk about this. Like if you watch that, the scene where like the camera swoops in on Pinocchio about to go to school is one of those like Marvel's of like two dimensional hand drawn animation where there's like three planes and like they must have like drawn this on like a 12 foot long sheet of paper and the camera pans and goes under a bridge and then like finds this house that hadn't even been visible at first. It's incredible. Like the animation on that is so awesome. It's really good. Check it out. What were you saying, Maria? Well, I'll, I'm going to bring the conversation down, but picking up on your your anal sex uh, <laughs> points, oh, that's, that's bringing yeah. it up right. in our opinion. <laughs> I did discover in my research at one point, although I have not actually watched it, there is apparently a porn version of Pinocchio oh, that was made. It's supposed to be very so famous. Be. <laughs> no, but there's like a famous one. Is there? Okay, it right, must well, be the one you're describing. I'm going to Google famous Pinocchio pornography. Just not on your work computer. No, well, no. So I had another question for all of you related to Robin's earlier question about like what makes this story so enduring. The butt jokes. It does, but it must be the butt jokes. But it it seems like, and just impressionistically, there has been a sort of cluster of films coming out just in the past couple of years like five years or so i guess right we were kind of listing some of them do you feel like there's something about like this this moment that we're in or that we've been in for a few years that is like seeming like pinocchio is responding to it in some way or do you feel like this is just a coincidence or or what our guileless liar in chief is it (laughs) i thought it was just gonna be like a craven like cash grabby like well obviously I, don't I know. think it's a good I, question. I don't know. Uh, it could also be. I, I like think. Okay. Advances wait. in technology to somebody. Yeah, there's that. I just did like so because I now have ruined my search history. Um, in fact, Google. You can clear that. Google screened at me. <laughs> safe search is off. You might see nudity in these results. First of all, I I googled the term famous Pinocchio pornography because I have no imagination. I want everyone <laughs> to be aware that there is a site called DisneyPorn.com. Oh, oh dear. Which I am just shocked that they could put the word Disney and porn together and not get sued into oblivion. But maybe Disney's just like, we're not going to draw attention to it. However, mm. the Barbra Streisand effect. Yeah, exactly. They're like, they've learned their adventure. Or they've learned their, their, uh, what's it called? It's their lesson. There is something, there's also a place called tubepornclassic.com. And the slug on the um, Google results said that it's a uh, a vintage porn. So I Googled that. I Googled the name, The Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio. 
And I found Pinocchio 1971, which is rated X. I think this is the one we were talking about. That is the one. That is the one. Yeah. The, the, the poster has a lot of uh, scantily clad women in lingerie. And it's got a guy who looks just like a handsome man, but with a very large nose. And the tagline, anyone want to guess? It gets See what he gets his nose day. into? <laughs> Bill, that is awful. That's a better one, though. It's not his nose that grows. which again canonically i feel like you know it should um but so yes this was directed by Corey allen it's got but he already has a very large nose yeah but anyway okay i don't (laughs) they're mixing their metaphors here like what are are we doing stick with one or the other geppetta which makes me very concerned there's the fairy godmother and then there's every other every other seemingly cast member of this is a female. So I don't know, I don't know of how course. many people he gets in with, but it says Diana <laughs> Thorne stars as the fairy godmother in this innocently sleazy take on the story of Pinocchio. I don't know what that means. Innocently <laughs> sleazy. That feels familiar. What is that like? What does that even mean? That feels like, like my soul. There is a review. There is a user review. From 2005, <laughs> it is three out of ten stars, and I'm just going to read the Whoa. title. <laughs> out of ten. scares the shit out of me. Thank you, IMDb. But it's the the title is <clears throat> a great cast wasted. So apparently, they do not make the most <laughs> out of this incredible cast. The, the story just doesn't rise to the occasion. And very sexy, erotic cast is completely wasted. Too bad, too, as this film could have been an erotic masterpiece. But as it stands now, it is a very disappointing erotic effort. This guy's writing erotic too much. What is an erotic masterpiece? Uh, It's a masterpiece of eroticism. (laughs) No, I'm just like, what is one? Oh, uh, um, showgirls. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, don't ask Brian this. Yeah, he'll put like, I don't know, saving private Ryan. You you are famous for a couple of things on this podcast, Brian, and one of them is that you take no pleasure in porn. Is that a thing I'm famous for? I guess so. It's come up at least twice. So yeah. But I mean like porn and and erotic are very different. I'd say like there's erotic movies that are like non-pornographic, you know? Yeah. In anything that Verhoeven hasn't made, basically, yeah, it has that potential. I don't know, like Sliver. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of like good erotic movies. Oh, I know, Deep Water. There you uh, go. So I'm gonna send you that punch. Unfaithful. <laughs> yeah, unfaithful and I'm gonna send you like lug nut nipples in the mail. What's wrong with lug nut nipples? Just two, Anna two water them. balloons with lug nuts stapled to them. Not yeah. stapled. Look, when I when I do a balloon, <laughs> when I watch them on my 4K TV, I want all those 4,000 pixels in all the lug nut. I want at glory. least 1,000 of those pixels to be tits. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, we got to backtrack here. Back to Pinocchio. Back to childhood. Back to creepy, <laughs> surreal childhood. Yeah. And I, I'm going to put on my women's studies hat for a minute Ooh, and say, yes. what, did, what does it say that the only adaptation of Pinocchio that has more than one female character in it is the erotic porn version mm-hmm. of it? Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Geppetto. Well, I don't know. Do you count the fish? 
This is the, the fish. fish isn't real. The fish is a figment. No, no, not the fish that eats them. The fish, the the fish that's best friends with the cat and Japan. Oh, that's. I guess that is a that is a kind of a girl character. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like what the sidekick of the sidekick. Yeah, I think that like you have it's like the Nico and Flit thing where it's like I don't think they would operate good independently, but together they're a comedic duo that cannot be reckoned with. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think Geppetto ever mentions his his right former wife at all. You just were born of my rib. Yeah, no yeah. Deal. He didn't give a well, shit about his a- wife enough to fucking plant a tree and try to make a puppet for her. <laughs> yeah, he didn't care about her. She was just the vessel. <laughs> it is kind of funny though. Like, is it? They don't. So they, but they must mention her at least once. Like when he's in the novel. Ne- in the novel, never once. And that's you know obviously that also feeds into the the Christ allegory, you know, yeah. it's like a miraculous birth and his father is a man named Joseph, who's a carpenter, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and so <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's that. Um, but yeah, there's no mention of Geppetto ever having had a wife or wanting one or missing one, uh, you know, in the novel or in any of the film versions. Maybe that he I've stole seen. the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Pinocchio is a changeling. I mean, I mean, Yeah. Yeah, but like, ever, literally. <laughs> if you ever saw the movie The Hollow, like Pinocchio does very much look like Cora in that movie. Is that where you got your daughter's name? Yeah, legitimately, yes. Um, yeah, my my at the time wife and I were going to go see a movie at AFI Silver, and we got there and it was sold out. We were still battling over the name that our daughter would have. Um, she wanted she wanted a bunch of weird shit. She wanted like Calliope. Or some other stuff. And I was like, what if we like go simple? And we couldn't come up with anything. So we got home and I was like, well, we planned to watch a movie tonight. There is a movie that's like available on VOD now that I think sounds pretty awesome. It's called The Hollow. And my ex loved or still loves horror movies. And she was like, oh shit, an Irish horror movie about fairies attacking people. That sounds (laughs) awesome. And there is a character in it who is a changeling and her name is Cora. And at the end of the movie... We were like, Core is a great name. Oh, shit. Did we just name our child? High five. Oh, nice. That would be a beautiful story if we were still That's together. That's a bold move to name your child after a changeling from a horror movie. Yeah, but like, what are the odds that she's going to become a changeling if we name her after a changeling? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the whole anxiety quotient. Like, the more you think about it, the less likely it's going to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay. Interesting turn. Interesting turn. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, I, that's that is very odd. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's funny, but it is odd that that doesn't come up more. And now I'm I'm just like going through my head trying to think. This okay? Well, they're voiced by women, but I guess the forest <laughs> spirit and death and all of them don't count in this movie. Well, that I mean, it was interesting how they sort of split the blue fairy character into two like feminine mythological mm-hmm. principles who are sisters that was, was like the I, janus thing like the good one the bad one the, the two sides of the same coin yeah right 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 um and then I I, guess yeah spazatura is canonically female i don't know <laughs> <laughs> voiced by kate blanchett so true yeah could be actually the dis the the one interesting thing the disney 
film with Tom Hanks. Uh, nope. No. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I was going to say uh, they use a he pronoun. Oh, uh, for, for Spazitura. Yeah. Maybe they just don't yeah. care enough to check. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Marie, what were you going to say about the Spazitura's, new Spazitura's uh, Zoom Square has a he him pronoun explanation yeah. on the bottom. Um, the dis so the Disney one, the recent. You're Disney definitely one a teacher, my God. Spazitrix. <laughs> we removed the A and give I it know an X educators. <laughs> Disney actually added an interesting female character um, in a, in a sort of a like a human female character in a, in. And actually significant, not just sort of, you know, on the screen for two seconds role, which is, I think, maybe the only interesting thing about that version of Pinocchio. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's obviously for the novel that was typical of its time, right? Um, that it was the, the story, you know, the model buildings Roman of, you know, a child becoming an adult really meant a boy becoming a man, right? Um, so that, you know, that's not particularly surprising but yeah you would think that some of the newer versions might be a little more creative with gender questions there maybe the next one is pinocchio there you go <laughs> pinocchio <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, I, I guess this is a, a very existential question um that i'll post to you maria because i'm just full of them tonight what do you <laughs> think is particularly italian about this story, not just the film, but but the Pinocchio story. And I guess that's also kind of a loaded question because what does Italian even mean? Um, given the history. Yeah, so that's a great question. And like we were saying, there's, there's obviously so much that's very universal about it, right? Yeah. Because it seems to have been picked up by so many other places and times and cultures. Um, there's... And when Collodi wrote it, he wrote it just 10 years after Italy became a thing, right? Became a nation state. Um, and Collodi himself had uh, fought in some of the wars for independence um, against the Austrians and, and, and so forth. Um, so it was written in a time when Italy was trying to define what does it mean to be Italy? Um, and so linguistically, it's also interesting linguistically because that was also the period where the particular kind of Italian spoken in Florence was being promoted as the Italian that would be spoken by the whole country. Wow. Um, so it's like specifically Florentine Italian. Right, right. Tuscan. Right. Wow. Exactly. Um, and in fact, Collodi also uh, participated in writing the dictionary like they were actually. Wow. You know, his country was just created and they had to come up with a dictionary for their standard language. And he was involved in that project. Um, and he's so interesting. He, he translated Perrault's French fairy tales into Italian and he was a satirical journalist and um, had six siblings who died in their youth, getting back to that question of death. So he's just such a fascinating character. But anyway, so the Italian parts of the book, um, I agree with a lot of scholars that there's, you know, just this wonderful, relentless satire against all sorts of institutions and corruption and kickbacks and, you know, um, really uh, 
critical of the justice system and the educational system. And you see that in Del Toro too, where it's like this mm-hmm. critique, the state and the church are, are sort of objects of everybody's of, a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, I mean, I think, you know, we've through Disney, we've really, as Bill was saying, kind of connected Pinocchio with don't lie. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. that's not so important in the not like, they, that is one of the many lessons he learns, but I think like a more important one is like, don't be gullible. Right. Mm. And that sense of like being street smart and being shrewd and not having the wool pulled over your eyes right. um, is a more, a, a more emphasized value in the novel that, you know, is, I think maybe a shared Italian cultural value. <laughs> um, don't be a dumb little shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was reading. Like, don't take shortcuts, like you know. Don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, I was reading that one of the kind of ideas that this was playing with is that like the industrial revolution is happening right around this time, um, mm. especially in Italy. And it's what it's doing is all of a sudden a lot of the country boys and boys and girls, sorry, uh, <laughs> are leaving their city or are going to the big cities and that they're getting into a bunch of trouble and just like in over their head and that Pinocchio is kind of an allegory for the kids leaving their small towns and going to the big cities where like labor force is being needed but it's like okay but you're joining this industrial revolution and all of a sudden like maybe you have more money than you know what to do with and it's like all of these potential pitfalls are all around you Um, and you know just kind of like this idea of the loss of innocence um and that these people just kind of keep leaving um you know their family and don't know a lot right they're just inexperienced with the world and all of a sudden they're just like oh crap like this place sucks (laughs) and it's like it's a lot nicer in quiet italy versus like the bustling cities and stuff like that so i thought that was interesting I don't know how how much that kind of holds true or not, but I thought that was an interesting kind of idea. Yeah, totally. I think um, one scholar described Pinocchio along those lines as the dangerous boy in danger, right? So mm. like the all the threats to childhood that a belated, you know, because we're already in the 1880s, but Italy did industrialize sort of belatedly in, in regard to the, to you know, Northern Europe. Um, so all of these changes of urbanization, industrialization, the unification of Italy, its new parliamentary monarchy, all of these changes were met with a lot of anxiety, right? On the one hand, they needed to be embraced, but it also you know, created a lot of anxiety about, you know, the the traditions and the values that might be at risk. Was industrialization um, mostly in the North? Yes. Yes, definitely. So I'm sure that creates even more of a divide between the North and the South and right. the economic disparities and the educational. Exactly. The illiteracy rates in the period, the illiteracy rates in Piedmont, which was in the north, were around 30 percent, which is huge. But in the south, they were up to 90 percent in this time that Collodi was writing. Yeah. Wow. 
And I'm curious, because I know that you're also a scholar of childhood literature. Um, I I know that maybe 1880 is a little late for this, but this is also, from what I understand, around the time that the idea of childhood was even still in development, um, like in the sort of romantic period, the Victorian period was when the idea of childhood innocence, you know, sort of like post-Rousseau was, you know, percolating, let's just say, did is this taken into account in the story at all? Like, is this something Collodi was reflecting on? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's definitely true. You know, these changing notions of what childhood is. Um, and I, and, and as you say, the really powerful romantic with a capital R period formulation of, which is not unrelated to the industrial revolution, right? Like the child yeah. is linked to nature, you know, and and to the you know inherent goodness of of people until society corrupts them as they grow older. And you know, I think here it's really there's pressure put on that because it's like I was I was saying, like he's not even fully formed yet, and he's already such a violent little imp that you yeah. know he's it's hardly sort of like Lockean more so, or my mistake. Yeah, or or sort of original sin, or mm-hmm. or yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I think a, a, a much less romanticized kind of vision of of childhood and also, you know, Italy's reality at the time, like there was no protecting children from the sight of death and disease and violence. And um, the idea that, you know, they could be treated as precious objects was was out of reach for the vast, you know, maybe all but the upper, upper classes. Sure. Well, look, for most of human history, kids were minors because they could fit in the cracks yeah. easier than other people. Exactly. It's only exactly. very recently that we've stopped looking at them as a new form of labor. Yeah. What yeah. Was the, there was the there was like a tweet that was about that, too. It was like, you know, 100 years ago, kids worked in the mines. And then we made it illegal. And the most popular video game is Minecraft now. The, kid, the children <laughs> yearn for the mines. <laughs> children yearn. Children yearn to be useful yeah oh my god my daughter is we've actually i've actually had to come up i've had to coin a phrase to say to my daughter sometimes you're only helping if you're helpful because Mm -hmm. she constantly wants to help me and she will say i want to help or i am helping and i've had to like set down that that's not true if what you're doing is making everything harder (laughs) which you know i hate to do because i want her to want to help forever because god knows i need it but like yeah every once in a while i'm just like all right here here's a here's a mop it's not got any water on it. Go over there and mop the area I've already mopped. Can't you like tell her to count beans? I don't know. No, because I feel like <laughs> I would know that that's pointless, and she would know that that's pointless, and so like I not try to give you need exactly two hundred beans. <laughs> Why? You know what? I'm not even gonna ask. Why you beans? That. Why I, beans? I, I don't uh, know. I'm anti bean. Who so has know. dry beans? I'm gonna make more of a mess handing her a can of beans. <laughs> Oh, we maybe I should beans for hummus. I don't do that. Um, hummus. Hummus. Uh, no, I'm going to be like Bean Dad. Do we all remember Bean Dad from Twitter? Oh, kill me. Third punch. Is that, are you saying Third kill punch. you because you know him or don't know him? Just like the idea of bringing up Bean Dad. But go ahead. Go for it. Just do it. What are we doing? What are we doing right now? He just had a tweet thread where he was like, my daughter wanted me to open a can of beans and I told her to get the can opener to do it herself. And it was like a seven tweet thread about how he was like trying to teach her how to know or experience and learn how to open a can of beans with a can opener instead of just telling her to use the fucking can opener. 
And it was like stupid. It was incredibly pointless. I understand what he's saying because every once in a while I'll say to my daughter, like, look at it and figure it out. But I would never tweet about that. Like I'm inventing the goddamn wheel of parenting. And instead (laughs) it became this massive flashpoint where everyone was like, Bean Dad is the hero we all need, or Bean Dad is an emotionally abusive monster who needs to be put to death by the government. It was like... Sounds like Twitter. I feel like it was this past year, along with, like, the chilly discourse... I don't know. Maybe Pinocchio's wrong. Oh no! Don't don't start don't start the chili discourse. Let's God. First of all, <sighs> only a monster would ever bring someone chili. Okay. I don't know. That's the lie. I would love if a fucking neighbor of mine came up and was like, "Dude, chili," I'd be like, "Absolutely." But would the first question you ask beans or no beans? I mean, I would oh. I would look in it. I would I would accept the chili happily and then I would check it out when they left or, you know, if they were going to eat it with me. I don't know what their plans are. I don't know if they're like the weed dealers in college who would hang around and smoke half of what they <laughs> made me buy from them. Um, <laughs> hey man, we got to make sure chili? it's good stuff. We'll, like sit down with you and eat this chili. Should we order Chinese food while we eat this chili? <laughs> All right. We've gone down a bean road here <laughs> it was your fault <laughs> you brought up beans um it was only an example i'm gonna give my daughter a can of chili and tell her to count the beans is what we've come up to oh i um, think that's a great idea yeah it's a perfect idea so uh do we have final thoughts on this del toro movie i you so oh okay so i wanted to talk about this like um my ex came in at the point where Pinocchio has died again, but this is mm-hmm. after he's uh, broken his hourglass so he can get back earlier to save mm-hmm. the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he dies. And so my, my ex-wife walks in, sees everyone crying over the dead Pinocchio. <laughs> and, and here's the, is it, I guess it's uh, the, the blue fairy, this, the forest spirit or whatever, the b- biblically accurate angel say he was a real boy and real boys don't come back. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Correct. Right, which is like a true statement. Good on the fairy for recognizing that. But also, like, that's the first thing she heard upon coming in and seeing everyone in this movie emotionally devastated by this dead Wow. And I hearing mean- that, and she looked at me, and she's like, oh, my God. And I was like, look, look, the whole movie's been like this. We're fine. Yeah. But also, also like. In, like, every <laughs> story. Right, that's but, but like he's a real boy he because not he even Christ, even though he's not super nice to everyone and doesn't give people a bunch of fucking fish and bread <laughs> not even two minutes later though if your ex-wife had just kind of stayed she would realize that uh oh, jiminy no, she cricket she sat down immediately oh, okay yes. jiminy no, cricket like, really wishes like, oh, him to life yeah. So but then, yeah. but then the best part is she's like, oh, okay. So he's alive. Well, that's great. This is great. They're going to live happily ever after. No, that's not how the movie ends. The movie ends with Geppetto dying. And then one day we yes. get to see the corpse of Jiminy Cricket sitting on a windowsill. And then, even Spazatura. Yeah. yeah. And, and it ends with the, the, the concept of like, is Pinocchio going to die? Who can say? Uncertain. How long does it take a yeah. to die? Yeah. They, they mentioned like he just wandered off into. To like continue to explore, and it's just like, oh shit, is this interview with a vampire? <laughs> like, like yeah, wow, 100%. okay. But I like that. I, I I enjoy that. I don't know. That's like that's like a that's one of those like creepy Guillermo del Toro, Twilight Zoney, careful what you wish for things that I like. Mm-hmm. I, I dig it. 
Anyway, how do you think Pinocchio is going to die, Maria? <laughs> so he does die hanging he, when the fox and the cat hang him from the giant oak tree. Um, that was how Collodi meant to end the story with with Pinocchio dead hanging from a tree. Um, Perfect. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then the readers wanted him to keep going, so he resurrected him and wrote more chapters. Um, <laughs> Oh my goodness! I was not anticipating this question. How is he going to die? I don't know. It's, I, I like the idea, like going back to the beginning and having him like burn up at the fireplace. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. This is got to be a fire. Like, yeah. At point, he he's warming himself termites. by a fire, and then inches closer and closer. Termites. Oh, <laughs> termites. Jesus. Oh my god. I um. I'm not going to. No, never mind. That's too long of a story to tell. They do like dry wood. So (laughs) do they like dry wood? Is that what it is? They like the wood that's dry. (laughs) If I kept my house eternally slightly damp, I would never have to worry about termites. No, uh, they also like mold. They, yeah. <laughs> and wood yeah. rot, and and uh, and uh, yeah, and and fungus. Um, but yeah, uh, they like both. But what they like is easily chewable wood. So usually that is very dry old wood that is just like you know crumbly to begin with basically do they like pine um, are they are they, is there something about pine that would attract them in particular do you know any kind of any kind of hardy wood would probably not be their thing oh okay so like a heart of pine would not be a problem probably cypress no not cypress what's the what's the word i'm looking for cedar they probably like wouldn't be cedar my house is like 100 years old or more now i think like 103 years old and um mm-hmm. the the beams are like super goddamn dense because it's very clear that these were like old growth trees that they got chopped down to make this house. So I'm feeling good. I think I'm going to be all right. <laughs> but just to be careful, I'm going to go spray all the wood. <laughs> just going to go stick a hose behind a wall. Um, are there any final thoughts for anyone else on this movie? Were we all happy that the cricket finally got a chance to sing about his dad? Very much. Yeah. <laughs> Love the cricket. I liked that runner through the movie. I really enjoyed it. Definitely in my top 10. And we'll talk more about that on our top 10 episode. Which is going to be in like what, March? Uh, End of February. Yes. Mid-February. Yeah, it's February 19th. The top 10 films of 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. Sweet. Looking forward to it. All right. Um, So that's all for today. Thank you very much, Maria, for being here and putting up with our shenanigans. (laughs) Thank you. It was a pure joy. Excellent. Um, so that's all. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? The whale. Speaking of Pesce Connor. I was about to say, very fitting Whoa. following this movie. So yeah, excited to talk about The Whale, uh, the newest film from Darren Aronofsky based on the play starring Brendan Fraser and Sadie Sink and uh, other people whose names escape me right now. Samantha Morton. Uh, yeah, that's one of them. Hong Chow. Yep. Some skinny guy. That dude. I was about to say that white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not Taylor Sheridan. I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. I'm excited to talk about it. It's a very controversial movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to uh, to hash out all of our feelings about it. 
So that's that. Um, don't forget to find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show. Go to patreon.com slash the Film State Show to give us your money. Don't forget to go to mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash Film Stage for a free 30-day trial subscription where you can watch Sorry We Missed You, a fantastic movie that will make you question uh, capitalism and our modern society and uh, British people. So that's that. Uh, let's tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time that we scream our opinions into their brains. Maria, where can people find your work online? Or you can opt out of this if you don't want the horde to come after you. <laughs> I doubt there'd be a horde, but they can go to my faculty profile page at Penn, Penn State. Awesome. And thank you once again for being here. You are a person with a real and important job, and you didn't have to take time out of your life to talk about Pinocchio with us, but I'm certainly glad you did. Thank you so much. So much fun. Talking about people who don't have real and important jobs, Bill Graham, where can people find your work? That is a low blow. (laughs) Especially since I'm currently full-time employed, not, or jobless. So, yay. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, as I was saying it, I was like, oh shit, isn't he unemployed right now? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Do not have a full-time job. Uh, Still able to pay my bills. Because I do other things. Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, uh, Legal things. Yeah. No. Um, (laughs) He's in the cult. The CrossFits. (laughs) <laughs> yes, in the CrossFit cults. Uh, you know who makes else me lots of money. <laughs> hey, ripped Jesus, ripped Korean Jesus, always staring <laughs> down at you. Um, no, uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but uh, I don't tweet there very much, uh, nor have I usually. Um, you can find me on Slack, uh, always mixing it up. And uh, one slight correction, uh, depends on the termite. Uh, <laughs> most termites need a damp environment and they prefer soft wood. So soft, okay. moist wood. Win-win. You yeah, so don't... Moisten my wood, Bill. <laughs> yeah, don't don't moisten your Man, wood. Jesus out. Christ. <laughs> I don't, don't know. Don't wet your whistle. <laughs> Don't. There's so much going on right now. Okay, I'm I'm done. <laughs> All right, great. Robin Barr, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at r o b y n b a h r. Um, also on Letterboxd, and you can sometimes find my writing at the Hollywood Reporter. All right. As for me, you can find me at my personal site, BrianJRowan.com. Uh, I'm Brian J. Rowan on every social media site. So check that shit out uh, if you want pictures of, like, my dogs and my opinions on movies and junk like that. Don't forget that you can also find every episode of this here podcast over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week. It's a clock. Don't match it. What to do with it? With it? It seems it's at six o'clock. Yeah.